Amen. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord, witness some baptisms, to uh, be able to worship the Lord. And, um, you know, this morning, I just want to encourage you this morning through this message. And uh, a lot of times, um, it's easy for us to get discouraged. And uh, life comes in with pandemics and all the other things that go on. We tend to get discouraged. And so I want to encourage you this morning uh, to press on and to persevere, uh, even in the difficult jobs that we have to do uh, for the kingdom. And uh, we've been in Matthew chapter 10, uh, chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, and I want to continue in that this morning. And uh, if you would, just open your scripture up to Matthew 10. Um, you know, this whole chapter in, in, in Matthew's gospel is a sobering and very serious chapter. And um, Jesus lets his 12 disciples know um, that he's sending them out into a hostile environment into an environment that is not conducive for what they are bringing. He's sending them out there, and and there's quite a bit that Jesus says during this commissioning discourse or sermon that he's given with these 12 that is specifically for them. But what he says in in verses 1 through 15 should probably only be understood as applying to them. But what he goes on to say the rest of the chapter is very clearly meant to extend beyond just the 12 disciples. And that means that the words of this morning's passage are intended for us too, as we seek to be a witness for Jesus Christ um, in our time on earth, as we engage the culture that we live in, uh, we need to follow his instructions And uh, so let's read God's word together in Matthew chapter 10. I want to begin in verse 16, and I want to read down through verse 23. And uh, if you have your scripture, just open it up there and we'll read together. The word of the Lord says this in, in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about what or how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say." For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death and to father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Father, I pray that in the, the moments that, uh, that follow, that you would open our hearts and minds. And Father, that we would very clearly see the message that you have for us today. 
I pray, Father, that you would just guide us in that. I pray for those in our midst who are grieving. I pray, Father, for those uh, who, who are celebrating. I pray for those, Father, who are, who are weary. I pray for those, Father, who are, who are sick. And, and, and Father, I pray for those uh, that are in need of a healing. I pray, Father, that you would do that by your power and for your glory. Father, we thank you so much. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, as, as we approach this passage today, I want to, uh, there are three misconceptions that I think we need to keep in mind. Three misconceptions that the disciples had about Jesus' kingdom. And, and I want to I point these out to you fairly quickly. Uh, the first misconception uh, is this, is that the disciples were expecting Jesus to set up his kingdom immediately. As he's sending them out, he, they're thinking in their mind, he's going to set up his kingdom immediately. And you won't understand the force of Jesus' words to the disciples unless you understand that. That in their mind, they're thinking, he's, it's time. He's, he's going to set up his kingdom, and we are the people who are going to carry forth his kingdom. And the disciples, they were expecting Jesus to set his kingdom up as they envisioned it, the way it was in their mind. And they did it immediately. They thought, they thought he was going to do it immediately. And after all, he had been saying things like this over and over to them. He had been saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near and they were led by that and certain other things which were misconceptions to think that his kingdom, Christ's kingdom, and the way they conceived it was going to be very shortly established. Second misconception. The disciples imagined the kingdom in triumphalist terms. Not only did they expect the kingdom to be set up immediately, they were also thinking and expected that in his kingdom that they would have position, prominent positions and leadership in that kingdom. They viewed it kind of like this, you know, as, as the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah of all of Israel was ruling over a righteous land, restored to the love of the Lord God of Israel, worshiping him and walking in his way, and they would rule as judges and elders in the Messiah's Israel. They're thinking, man, we're, we're about to come to, in charge. We're, it's, it's our turn. It's time. And that's what they were thinking. And that's a misconception. And they were anticipating getting important and prominent positions in Christ's kingdom when it was set up. And this too caused the Lord some concern. And he knew that he had some teaching to do in that area because they were getting ready for an awfully rude awakening. Think about this. Jesus had been popular to this point. People were following him. He's had these disciples who have been, have been spending time with him and, and rubbing off on him, so to speak. And so now he's going to send them out. And they're thinking, you know what? All these people are going to follow me too. And they're thinking in their mind that he's going to set his kingdom up and they're going to have prominent positions in it. And the third misconception is that the disciples pictured the kingdom in the same sort of earthly terms as many of the people of Israel did. In other words, they imagined it almost a 
militaristic or and civil terms, as, as if the Lord Jesus were going to come in and set up a government and throw the Romans out and establish Israel as an independent nation. That there's going to be a new regime, that he's going to be the one in charge, and we're with him, and so therefore we're going to have positions of prominence. See, these misconceptions had to be cleared up by Jesus. And in commissioning his disciples, he's seeking to correct these misconceptions about the kingdom of God. And while there are several truths we can glean today, I want to direct your attention to just two truths out of this passage, two applicable truths. The first you'll see in verse 16, where you see the words of Christ commissioning his disciples, his apostles. And the apostles are commissioned there, and we learn that the first truth is this. Those who serve Christ in this world need both grace and wisdom. If you're going to serve Jesus Christ in this world, you need grace and wisdom. I mean, if we're going to serve him effectively, we need both of those things. Christ says here, he says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Notice that he's saying, I am sending you out. He says, I am sending you out. And so what he's saying there is I'm commissioning you. I'm sending you out so that you will go out as my official representatives. I mean, what an encouragement. That must have been to those disciples. What an encouragement. You know, you think about this. He's saying, look, you're not going out on your own. You're not going by yourself. You're going out because I sent you, and you're, you're, you're not going out on your own. You're going out with my message. I'm giving you my power to do all of these things. I'm giving you my word. I'm giving you my blessing, and you're going out with my presence. A little later in Matthew, he says it this way. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's sending them out. Those would have been great words of encouragement to the disciples because now they're being sent out to minister. They've been feeding, they've been feasting on the words that have been taught by Christ. He's been teaching them on the side of the hill, down by the lake. He's been teaching them. They've been walking with him and they've been feasting on his words. And now he is sending them out to go do the job of proclaiming that word to others. And they needed encouragement. If you've ever been shoved out for the first time to witness on your own, you know the fear and anxiety that comes with that. That must have been pulsing through their veins, through their hearts. And this would have been a, a great encouragement from them to hear Christ say, hey, I'm sending you out. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Don't fear. Don't have anxiety over it. I'm giving you the power. And make no mistake about it. The power that Jesus Christ gave them was tremendous power. I mean, Verse 1 of chapter 10 says he summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Folks, that is some power. He's giving them this power and he's sending them out and he's, he, you know, it, it, it's amazing. He does not exempt them from personal responsibility in preparing for this mission. Yes, they would remember they were going in his power, but he tells them they're also to be 
as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. I mean, because of the difficulty of the task that he's sending them to, he says that both of these characteristics, both of these qualities, there's two qualities that they need to have in addition to their passion. These three go together. These two qualities and their passion, their zeal for the Lord. So all of these three combined, they needed to be wise and innocent, two qualities in addition to their passion. Do you realize how difficult it is to put three things all together at the same time? Passion for the Lord, wisdom, and purity of intention, innocence. Having the right motives, zeal for the Lord, wisdom, and purity of intention. See, those things are those three things are very difficult to get together in the same person. I mean, they were to have wisdom, they were to act wisely as they went out with this power. They were to act with wisdom, they were to have a passion for the Lord, a holy zeal, proclaiming the kingdom, and at the same time, they're to be innocent, having pure intentions. Man, if we just had that kind of power, huh, oh man. That's where the the motives generally run off the rails. Because we want to do it and we want to use it for our good, for our purposes. And what he's saying, it has to be innocent. You know, William Hendrickson, he gives a beautiful description of the kind of wisdom the Lord was calling them to have. He says this, he says, the keenness here recommended as a human quality involves insight into the nature of one's surroundings both personal and material. It involves circumspection. It involves sanctified common sense, wisdom to do the right things at the right time and place in the right manner. (laughs) I mean, Jesus is sending them out with his power, with his authority. Most of us would not trust other people with the authority that we've been given. Jesus is sending them out with his authority, but he's saying you need to be wise about it. You need to have the right motives and keep your zeal for for the Lord. Keep your zeal for the kingdom. And I think this is huge because it involves a serious attempt always to discover the best means possible to achieve the highest goal. The earnest and honest search for answers to such questions like this. How will this word How will this word or action of mine look in the end? How will it affect my own future? How will it affect the future of my neighbor and of the glory of God? See, he's sending them out with this tremendous power, but he he wants them to think about this. How is this going to look? How is this word or deed that I do, how is it going to look in the end? Is it going to look like I was selfish? Does it look like I was trying to help someone else? Is it bringing glory to God? Is it hurting or helping my neighbor? Is it hurting or helping my witness? And see, those are, those are legitimate questions that we need to be answering as believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. The other question I have, is this the best way to handle this problem or is there a better way? Because really that's what he's sending them out to do. He's sending them out. That's the kind of wisdom which Jesus was calling his disciples to exhibit as they manifested holy zeal. 
<laughs> you know, we ourselves know friends who have the gift of holy zeal, or maybe they have the gift of wisdom, but we don't know many friends who have the gift of both because those two things are really hard to go together. You know, we know people who are like bazookas for Christ. I mean, they're, they're blasting away with the gospel. You know what I mean? You're like, man, I don't know how they just have so much boldness. They're, they're just sharing all the time. And then there's other people, other friends that we have that are so careful that they never quite get around to the issue of the offense of the gospel, even in the most unoffensive way. They still don't get to the point of the gospel. And it's difficult to be both wise and zealous for the Lord at the same time. But that's, pri- uh, that's precisely what Christ is calling his disciples to do and to be. And notice that even though they are wise, they're at the same time to be harmless and innocent. You know, the people who are the best strategizers, the best thinkers, are sometimes prone to either looking out so much for their own interest that they don't look out for the interest of others, or they begin to compromise for the sake of keeping an offense from coming about. So Jesus says, you're to be harmless. You're to be innocent. You're to have only good intentions towards other, and you are not ever to compromise with evil at all. I mean, what a tall order Christ is calling his disciples to have. Zeal for the gospel, wisdom, innocence, all rolled up into one. Think about this with me. (laughs) Jesus saw the world as a dangerous place. And he sent them out anyway. He saw the world as a dangerous place and he sent them out into the world anyway. Sheep among wolves. See, they could get torn apart if they're not careful, if they're not exercising wisdom, if they're not aware of their surroundings, if they're not paying attention, if they're just bumbling along and not really paying attention and and, and they, they could be torn apart by these wolves. It was his way of saying that his people are going to get kicked around. They're going to get bitterly opposed and probably humiliated. But that was okay with him. Because I think this is huge. The learning experience that they would have are going to be invaluable. Think about this. When they return, they're going to have some serious questions. They're going to have some serious questions and they're going to listen to the teaching even more intently. Because now once they've tried this, once they've been out in the world, once they've witnessed and they saw the response, they're gonna come back much more serious and they're gonna say, hey, but I had this, I have this question. I did such and such over here and how would, I, how would you have handled that? And they're gonna have good questions rather than coming back, bursting you know, with, and drowning in arrogance and cockiness. Think about it, the power that he gave to heal The power that he gave to cast out demons, the power that he gave to do those things, it would probably lend itself toward arrogance. Shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. You know, sometimes as Christians, we are 
portrayed, you know, just as gullible souls, like, like we would believe anything. Like we're doormats for the Lord. And innocence has its place, but understand cynicism eats away at the soul. God still has so much good available for us. I mean, Christians, we should represent this, but recognize we're not, we're not dummies. We understand what he calls us to do. See, Christians, we understand how evil the world is. We know this because we know how evil we are. And we're the Christians. You know, there was a seminary professor. He once was invited by a former student to come to his church in uh, a little West Texas town. And they were going to do a revival. And and, uh, the the pastor, he called him and he he asked him and he came and he he told him, he said, there's this one fella, older fella, his name is Mr. Crenshaw. And um, he's a, a very moral, upstanding man. Everybody in the community likes him. Everybody knows that he's probably better than some of our church members. But he, he's, he's lost, and it's always been a hang-up. I've never been able to get through to him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the, the professor, he said, yeah, I'll visit with whoever, you know, that's fine. So the revival started on a Sunday morning. And... Um, Five people at church on Sunday told this professor how good Mr. Crenshaw was. Two more people came up to him on Monday and said how good Mr. Crenshaw was. And so the day to come and visit him finally came and they had an afternoon visit and the pastor uh, went there and, and Mr. Crenshaw welcomed him into his house. He, he got them some, some iced tea and they sat down and they began to talk. The, the pastor, he's, you know, kind of preliminary going through things. He says, Mr. Crenshaw, I wanted the professor to talk to you uh, about the Lord. He said, I know that, that you're, um, you know, an upstanding moral man and, and you, you probably, you know, outlive some of our church members even. And suddenly the professor said, hey, wait, 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 hold up a minute. And he looked across the table at Mr. Crenshaw And he said, you know, Crenshaw, he said, ever since I've been in this little town of yours, I've been hearing people tell me about what a good man you are. And I just want you to know I'm not buying it. Wow. I'm not buying it. And he paused and he leaned forward and he said, you know, sir, if you're a man like I'm a man, then you're rotten as hell. Mr. Crenshaw smiled and he said, you're right, I am. And what happened was there was a serious conversation about a savior who welcomes sinners and has the power to forgive them and makes new people. That day, Mr. Crenshaw came into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says there is no one good except God. Not one. Not one. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep to the wolves because there's some wolves out there that I want to turn into sheep. But you're not them. They are not you. You are distinct. You're different from them. My people are different. See, we we ourselves have that same calling as we go out to people. 
We go out as believers to, to go out into the world with both his grace and his zeal, sharing his truth. And we need to have that wisdom and the innocence. And it's a difficult thing because grace and common sense are the rarest combinations. There was an old Scottish minister years ago. He used to tell his students, you need three things. You need three things if you're going to be a minister of the gospel. He said, you need grace, you need Greek, and you need gumption. Well, gumption is a wonderful old Scots word, and it either means stickability or perseverance. But it can also mean common sense. And I believe that's what he was talking about here. He said, you need grace, you need Greek, and you need common sense. And he would tell them, he said, if you don't have grace, then you need to go to Christ, and he will give you grace. He said, if you don't have Greek, then you need to come to me, and I will teach you Greek. And if you don't have gumption, well, I don't know where you can get it. Folks, there's a lot of truth right there. We need common sense. Great grace and common sense in the cause of Christ, serving him in the world are a rare combination. And the very fact that we need both of those ought to drive us to our knees to pray for both of those things as we share our faith. Folks, we need to have common sense in that. You know, college students, sometimes they experience this. You know, maybe you... You have a college student who grew up uh, in a Christian home. Maybe he went to church, you know, most of his life. And then he goes off to college. Here's the preaching of a faithful college minister, maybe in a challenge group, and they're he's brought to a saving life relationship with, with Christ. They trust in him. They put their discipleship, they begin that discipleship walk with him, and they feel for the very first time that they understand the truth. And suddenly and very clearly, they look back and they see the failure and the shallowness of faith in their family at home. So at Christmas break, they go back home to rant against their parents about their wickedness and ignorance of the things of the truth. I mean, sometimes it causes family difficulties, doesn't it? Great grace and common sense are a kind of rare combination. And I want to give you just a couple of examples of those. You remember David after he was anointed king? He kept dealing with King Saul I don't know how he did it, but he had great grace and he had, you know, common sense, great zeal for God, yet respect for Saul's position, grace and common sense. Didn't Abigail show that kind of grace and common sense when she had to put up with that jerk Nabal? I mean, you think about it. She could have, she could have told him a few things, but she showed great patience. And sometimes that's what it takes when we're sharing the gospel, when we're working with people. Grace and common sense. The Apostle Paul, he showed that kind of grace and common sense in dealing with those who opposed him in Jerusalem. You know, this kind of grace and common sense that Christ is calling his disciples to, he's the same, he's calling us to have this same kind of grace and common sense every day as we go out with the gospel. Let me give you this second truth real quickly and we'll be done here in just a moment. But in verse 17 and following, it says, 
But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. I mean, Christ is issuing a warning here for his disciples. Here he teaches that the second truth, those who serve Christ in the world must be prepared for opposition. I'm telling you right now, if you're gonna share the gospel with other people, expect opposition. Expect opposition. The disciples were anticipating a kingdom that was going to lead them to great prominence and leadership. And our Lord wanted to prepare them for a kingdom that was going to expose them to persecution. Folks, it's coming. If you're not being persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ yet, know that one day you will. I'm trying to prepare you for that day so that you won't shrink back, so that you will stand firm. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. Notice that Christ tells the disciples that they must be prepared for both religious and civil persecution. So far away from their message being openly embraced by the majority, which is what they thought. They thought if we go out and in the power of Jesus Christ, if we go out, everybody's going to embrace that message. Everybody's going to start following us. We're going to be, have, you know, leadership and, and prominence in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, you're going to be persecuted. They think they're going to get pats on the back and thanks for going out and preaching this message. But really what was going to happen is they were going to get kicked out of their own churches and they're going to be treated as criminals by the civil courts in their land. (laughs) The disciples, they, they thought their message was going to have success. In their mind, what they thought of as success. They were expecting that the message would resonate with the people and it would be a popular message. But the Lord says... Don't expect that kind of success. Notice verse 21 as I bring this in for a landing. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. He says, I want to tell you the message that I've given to you is going to divide families. It's gonna divide families. It's gonna turn parents against their children. It's gonna turn children against their parents and brother against brother. You know, there are some people in the congregation today who may have known that kind of pain in their family as they embraced the gospel and other family members rejected them because they embraced that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord makes it clear to his disciples that he takes precedent when those kinds of pressures come. When a person says it's either Christ or your mother, it's either Christ or your father, then the choice has been made. Jesus Christ must take precedence in our life. He has to have first place. Folks, that's a hard message. Because we love our families. We understand the sacrifice that's involved. We know what that looks like. But that's what Jesus says. These are his words. 
Brother will betray brother to death. Father, his child, child will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. He's trying to let them know you're not signing up for an easy mission. You're signing up for the hard row that nobody else wants. Listen, these days, today, we must not give in to the temptation to alter the gospel. To water it down, to make it more popular because the very hatred against the gospel that we face when the gospel is preached properly and proclaimed, it's not a sign that we're doing something wrong. It very well may be a sign that we're doing precisely what God has called us to do. Individually and corporately. So I tell you today, church, stand firm. Go out. Be as shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves. Use the wisdom that God gives. If we ask, he won't withhold it. Use the common sense as you witness. And know that he's going to be with us till the end of the age. Stand firm, O church of the living God. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I'm glad that you gave us your word so that we can know where you stand on this. Lord Jesus, you were teaching your, your disciples, those you were sending out, your apostles. You were teaching them what it means to stand for you. And Father, I pray that every believer that can hear my voice would understand that, that we are... They hated you. They killed you, Father. Lord Jesus, they hung you on a cross so that you could pay the penalty for for my sin. Father, I am so thankful for that. And Father, I am not afraid and I'm not ashamed. Father, you say in your word that if we are ashamed of you here, that you will be ashamed of us there in heaven. And Father, I pray that you would build into each one of us the core that we need to stand firm on the word of Jesus Christ, on your word, Father. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we go forth. Father, I pray that you would help us as we carry the gospel with us in these earthen vessels. Father, that others would see Jesus in us. Father, may we live lives that are lives of of zeal for you, lives of wisdom. Father, knowing that you love us so very much that you're going to be with us no matter what. Father, that we would be innocent, that we would do no harm. Father, that we would have purity of motives. Father, that we would do those things with the right heart. God, I pray that you would be glorified in each of our lives. Father, I thank you for giving your son Jesus. I thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. 
Father, in the time that remains, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just guide us into all truth. Father, we love you. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.